Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Business Leadership Today podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tenney. On this podcast, we share ideas and practices to help business leaders build and sustain world-class teams and organizations that make a positive impact on the lives of team members and on the global community. This episode is part of a series we're doing on how to build a workplace culture in which leaders and team members truly care about each other. My guest today is Pish Patel. I can relate to to Pish very well because he learned his most valuable lessons about business through failing. Pish is the founder of Digital Tutors, a company that almost failed before Pish started focusing on culture as a top priority. Thanks to building a strong company culture, Digital Tutors became very successful and was eventually purchased by Pluralsight for $45 million. Now, as an angel investor and consultant, Pish currently owns 12 companies and is focused on advising those companies as well as 10 others on building a strong company culture, which means he has the opportunity to observe and help create best practices for culture in many companies. Pish is also the author of the Axiom award-winning book, Lead Your Tribe, Love Your Work, which provides a step-by-step roadmap for building a strong culture. I am really excited to speak with Pish today and for him to share some powerful ideas on building a workplace culture in which leaders and team members truly care about each other. Pish, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Matt. Looking forward to it. Me too. Well, in a moment, Pish, we're going to explore the 10 most important things a leader needs to do to create a workplace culture in which leaders and team members really care about each other genuinely. Before we jump into that, I think the story of your big insight around the 40-hour work week would be of great value to our listeners. Would you please start us off by by sharing that story? Yeah, you bet. So, you know, for years I would pay all of my full-time people for 40 hours of work and nothing ever fully got completed. There was always stuff left over every week. And it wasn't until I realized, wait a minute, they can't do 40 hours of week uh, work a week. They can only do about 26. And that that realization completely changed the way we approached uh, how we estimate our projects, how much we load onto each person. And so let's think about this. You have a 40-hour work week, but last I checked, people need to eat lunch. So there's an hour for that. So now we're down to 35. And uh, people need to go to the bathroom and get up and move around. So we'll chalk that up to another five hours. Now you're down to 30. And then you've got these impromptu interruptions and emails and We'll chalk off another four hours for that. So really 26 hours of productive work is really what you can expect from a 40 hour employee. Mm, and yeah. when you're when you approach it as no, no, I pay you for 40, I expect 40. Well, then you're really expecting them to work Saturdays and Sundays to catch up on eating lunch, go to the bathroom and having impromptu interruptions. So um, we adopted a just-in-time manufacturing type model. Uh, agile is what the developers call it. And that process is really, look, we got 26 hours per employee. Let's break everything down into 15, 30 minute, one hour increments. And then, you know, peel off the amount of of hours out of the 26. And then we can have a real conversation of, Mm. does this cost, what does this cost? Is it worth the cost? How long will it take? When will it be delivered? And, and ultimately, Matt, I'm just trying to manage expectations for everybody on the team, right? So as long as we can manage expectations, there will not be any disappointment or anger. Yeah, well, it, sound, it sounds like a win-win for everybody because you, you can estimate costs for projects much better. 
and you have people who aren't feeling like they're burning out because they're being run ragged, expect being expected to do things that are literally they can't do in a 40 hour work week. Yeah, I, I've found, you know, over the 14 years of running my tech company that teaching my people how to estimate the cost and time of something is where I've got to focus the majority of my time and energy. Mm -hmm. And we've got to learn from the cycles where we made a mistake and thought, oh, this is a 30 minute project and it turned out to be a three day project. Well, where did our estimation break? Because most people, let's just think about this, Matt, if we were gonna sell pizzas, right? And somebody calls us for a large pepperoni pizza and I say, well, if I make it, it'll be $12. But if Matt makes it, it's gonna be $48 because he drops half of them. <laughs> You'd be like, well, I, I don't understand. I just want a pizza, right? Yeah. However, we do this in the tech world all the time where we think something is going to cost $12 and it ends up costing $300. We never pause and go back and say, where did we mess up on the estimation? Mm. Because the better we estimate, the better we can predict where this function or feature or our business will go. Got it. All right. Well, I think this is... Uh... This is a great introduction to what we want to talk about today because, you know, I think a lot of people hear of, oh, you know, building a culture where everyone cares about each other. They think, well, how does, how is performance related to this? And it's, as you well know, and have very clearly articulated here, performance is intimately tied up with how much people care about each other. You caring about people as a leader is int intimately tied up with their performance. Um, so you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about in depth, a couple of the, the best practices that you found. Um, but just to give some tremendous value to people, if, if they only have a few minutes to listen to this, what I'd like for you to do, Pish, if it's okay, is, um, is just list off in your opinion, what are the 10 most important things that a leader needs to do to create a workplace culture in which leaders and team members truly care about each other. And for the listener, you don't need to try to write these down. I mean, they're going to be available on the show notes at businessleadershiptoday.com. Um, you'll be able to access them there very easily. But just in case you got to, you know, you only have a few minutes today, let's get Peach's top 10 most important things you need to do. And then after that, we'll, we'll go deep into a couple of these and really look, explore that. Why is it important and how you do it? Absolutely. Well, I want to cheat. I got 11. I got a bonus one. <laughs> All right. Uh, but let me give you an Extra overarching... Credit blanket over these 11. And, and there's many more in my book. These are all taken from my book. I believe that people come to work for three things, belonging, affirmation, and meaning. And really, I'm not an inventor of this. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, once their food and shelter is taken care of and their safety needs are met, after that, it really is about belonging, affirmation, and meaning. So the 11 I'm going to share with you are really tied to how do you create uh, this, what we call BAM, belonging, affirmation, and meaning. So uh, number one, it's a daily five-minute activity called the three happies. It's how we connect. It's how we create BAM within your team all day, every day. The second, nobody likes conflict unless you're like a sociopath. So uh, <laughs> we manage conflict with the model that we created called the GROW model and love to talk to you about that. Um, again, understanding this 40-hour work week is not really a 40-hour work uh, I teach all of my entrepreneurs to focus on the values and they cannot be aspirational. They, they have to be genuinely who you all are. And, and how do we um, focus on that is by talking about the values at every meeting, every chance you get to talk about it. Uh, I equate that simple phrase in the company of values to telling a loved one that you love them. Your loved one knows you love them, 
right? But I've told my wife this morning before I let, hey, I love you, right? If I just wrote that up on the bathroom wall and said, <laughs> once a year, I will tell you I love you, I left it on the wall to remind you, but I won't tell you again until next year's annual meeting, I wouldn't be married very long. <laughs> um, I want to engage the whole family. So kids, spouse, significant others. Uh, we've included parents. Uh, it's just teaching your staff that everybody in your unit matters because they're a part of our unit. Um, I give raises outside of the office. We can talk more about that. Uh, leadership should focus on taking care of the employees so the employees can take care of the customers. Can't tell you how many times leadership steps over the employee just to grab that last buck at the expense of really destroying that relationship mm. that you have with people who trust you. Um, and I agree with you. I think if leadership only focuses on profits, it will be at the detriment of the employees. And you see that at you know all levels. Uh, I love to buy the school supplies for my employees and we can get into that. All right. Uh, and my last bonus one for you, number 11, is don't tolerate a toilet paper bandit. All right, cliffhanger. What the heck is that? All right, well, we'll, <laughs> probably, we'll probably save that for the end. <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks, Peach. So let's let's go into this first one because I'm sure this has got people's uh, curiosity peaked. So embrace the three happies. That's right. Can you yeah, explain so a, what what does this mean? Absolutely. Why is it important, and and how do we do it? Let's just start with. So what does this mean? What are you what are you talking about when you say embrace the three happies? Okay, so um, we are all busy, and all of our employees are busy, and everybody has a different level of motivation. They have a different reason why they want to be affirmed and how they belong. And so how do you tap into that? We could talk about it or we can create an activity around it. So every morning, let me pull mine up here. Every morning at 9.15, we do a little thing called the three happies. All it costs is a post-it note. And if you want to get super fancy, I do leadership in one color and all the different teams in my organizations in a different colors. So it's kind of old school social media. You can decide who you want to follow based <laughs> yeah. on the color code. So at 9.15 every morning, you can set your time to it. You take a piece of paper, a little post-it note, you sit in a group and you share your three happies. And the way it works is in the corner, you put your name and the other corner, the date. And then number one and two are the uh, two things that made you happy at work in the past 24 hours. So that's your time slide is 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And then one personal thing that made you happy at home or in your personal life. What this does is a it's this is all based off uh, research uh, called the Tetris principle, where mm. if you do repetitive work, it's hard to break that cycle. Uh, a great example I share is if you're a lawyer, and your job is to find something wrong with this contract, right? Like, you're not saying, oh, wow, that's a really, well, you really got me on this one. You're saying, no, you're trying to screw me on this. No, right. don't do this. Don't do this. What happens when your seven-year-old comes and says, look what I did at school? It's hard to turn off that critiquing and, and how can you make it better and just appreciate, wow, great job. Right? That's really hard to turn off. Right. I found this with my employees who are you know, highly educated creatives. One day walk outside and go, gosh, it's so bright and sunny and it's so hot. I'm thinking, you sit in an air conditioning building all day. It's a beautiful yeah. day. And then I understood they critique art all day long. Mm. That's their job is to critique and make things better. 
And so we implemented this three happies. And I will tell you, if you do it for just 21 days, it'll become a habit. If you continue with it, deadlines will go away. Uh, missed projects will go away. These things will just naturally go away because what's happening is I'm sharing with my little group at 915, two things about my job that I love. Mm. And I'm reminding everybody else, look what I love about this place and my personal which allows us to connect at a deeper level. So if I said, you know, I finally got into Game of Thrones, all of a sudden everybody around me would say, <laughs> oh, me too, you finally got into it. Yeah. And now I belong to this little community within this organization. Fantastic. And so how do you see, how have you seen this create um, a sense of deeper caring? Uh, you know, I would, my guess would be from what you said is that last little gem, right? It's where well, I could see two things, um, but I, I, I would like to, you to expand on this or go deeper or definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I could see one, obviously, if somebody's happier, if they're, if they're able to find the positive in their situation, they're going to be more likely to look after the person next to them. They're going to be more pleasant to the person next to them, right? Two is if I have a human connection with somebody, if I can see our commonality, I'm going to be more likely to, to look after them. So if you could maybe tell me, am I on the right track there? And then maybe expand on that a little bit if, or correct me and expand on that either way. Yeah, totally. You're on it. So really the, this happens in organizations at the quote water cooler, whatever that is. If it's the coffee mm -hmm. machine, the Coke machine, the water cooler, uh, a certain point in the office where people gather and you naturally go, Hey, what are you working on? Yeah. And then they tell you and you go, well, that's cool. Most people come to work. They've got their own things. They've got to get done. And the rest of the people are kind of oblivious. They, they, are, they must be doing something. It's hard to create empathy towards somebody when you don't know them. Absolutely. And I feel that by you sharing with me two things yesterday that you were really happy about that you did at your job, and, and I'm as a listener going, which I believe is also a form of affirmation, right? Listening is an, an act of affirmation. Mm -hmm. By just listening, not even having a conversation, I go, wow, I, I didn't realize Matt was even working on that. That's mm. really cool, right? And we now have a mutual respect over the work we do. I now have empathy when you say I'm stuck on something or I need some help with something. Well, it totally makes sense for me to step in and help you because I understand what you're doing and what drives you. Absolutely. And then That's all great. of these, you know, they're shared in little small groups and then somebody from that group takes them and we post them near the bathroom. And that way, anybody <laughs> who's kind of walking to the bathroom can just see over the, you know, the past 24 hours, what were people talking about? What They may not work with somebody, but they want to follow their happies. Yeah. So now do you, uh, you may have mentioned this at the beginning and I may have just forgotten this, but do you, when you break it into small teams, is it generally like the teams that people work on or do you That's try right. to mix, mix it up a little bit? No, it's just the teams they work on, okay. right? They, they're, it's really the bond we're trying to create is with them. And then by posting them, it kind of cross mingles everybody. Right. Got it. Yeah. So it's basically, if you're a, a senior executive, you're, you're just having this meeting with your four or five direct reports. That's um, right. They, they might be having that same meeting with their five or 10 direct reports and That's right. so on down the chain. Okay. Fantastic. Um, have you ever experimented with, um, maybe once a month or so, just kind of randomly mixing people up and seeing like what happens if somebody from accounting is sitting down from with someone in the, you know, the development team and you played around with that or, sure or any of the companies you've uh, advised on done this. 
Yeah. So we do a Friday afternoon tea time and it's uh, just once a week. We all gather and it could be tea, coffee, beer, soft drink, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's really around building cross team connections. Mm. And those will have stories of our values, what they saw, stories around the three happies. And, you know, every Friday for 45 minutes, we just kind of gather and do this mix everybody up and it's really about building these connections so we can move faster together than as a bunch of individuals oh for sure yeah that synergistic effect is amazing and, and i've so can you maybe share a story of an example of you saw you saw of one team member really looking after another one that you think might be directly attributable to this practice and I know I'm putting you on the spot here yeah, because this that, uh, might be a while. It could be in your company one. or uh, yeah, or or in any of the ones that you've advised and where you've just you just saw an example of somebody that just said, "Wow, I can't believe they went to that extent to take take care of a team member," and it's you could you could feel pretty confident it's a result of the, this practice. I see it every time when deadlines don't get skipped mm. or, or passed, right? Because I used to have a huge problem with well. One of the problems was I'd have all these deadlines thinking they're going to work 40 hours and that, that was <laughs> yeah, false. So, yeah. okay, restructure that. And I'm still having issues with deadlines. And it's because, you know, sometimes the job that you've been given, you may not have 100% of the skill set to do it. You may have 98%. Right. And that last 2%, it's hard to get somebody around you to help you when they're busy. Right. And so ultimately, I think that the pudding, uh, you know, the taste of the pudding really is, getting things done right so if we have mm. a culture of getting things done and we can't do it individually we've got to do it together so uh more than you know sharing an exact story around two employees helping each other um i can tell you for me i'm able to have a conversation at 9 20 in the morning over a tiny little detail so remember i told you in the in the post-it note you put your name in the top corner and the other corner of the date mm-hmm I can't tell you how many times somebody who's been with me 10 years, who's done it for 10 years in a row, walks in one day and puts the date and then their name. And so one of my jobs is every morning at 920, I go over to the board and I look and I read a few, but I quickly check name and date, name and date, name. Whoa, wait a minute. Date, name. I'm going to go talk to Mark. Hey, Mark, mm. how's it going, man? Listen, I saw that you closed that huge deal, man. Good job. And I didn't know your kid was already starting, you know, little league. So that gives us some talking points. Right. Right. And he goes, wow, the boss went over and read And I just said, Hey, Mark, by the way, remember it's always name and date. And I'm a big believer in big, big mistakes and organizations start off as little bitty, tiny ones, mm -hmm. and they just compound and compound and compound. So in my organization, you know, we have 42 full-time employees. Any one of them who creates something, all 42 people have to touch it. So I want to make sure that the pipeline never breaks. And that happens by me focusing on the details. And I can't tell you how many times the response is, oh my gosh, you're right. I know. I don't know how I missed that. My, you know, my kid forgot his homework and I had to run back to the house <laughs> yeah. or, you know, I, I slept in this morning. So, and then it, it, it's just a reminder of, look, I know you're human, right? We're all human. But these little mistakes will catch up to us. So let's focus on, you know, the details. Yeah. Well, I imagine that's kind of another side effect is you get to, usually there's a why, right? If somebody who's historically very attentive to details, one, right. one time out of three months isn't, you probably know, 
I should check in with this person just to see what's going on. Right. Why, why did this person miss this? Like, was it something like that? Is there something serious going on? Gives you another chance to connect. Well, I I think that's great. I mean, an, an exact story is not necessary. I think the two ideas that you shared are perhaps even better. I mean, you know, people caring about each other while also caring about the mission and realizing the vision of the organization I mean, what, what better example do you have of people who actually care about each other, who are willing to say, well, I've got a deadline too, but I, I, I know that you need help because you, you, you're not as far along with this skill set as I am. So I'm going to take the time to help you that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, this, this segues somewhat into, you know, we we were just talking about, all right, so you've got somebody who misses a detail and you probably assume that something's not going well and in, in and maybe it leads to a difficult conversation. And so the second thing you listed was using the GROW model for conflict resolution. So when you're dealing with conflict, it sounds like you've got a, a best practice here, which I have not seen yet. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Um, what is the GROW model for conflict resolution? Um, why is it important and how do we execute on it? So the GROW model is the model itself, super simple. It's the lead up to it. So Mm. I hate, hate, hate having it happen to me. And I hate even doing it to my people of something like, let's see, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I go, you know, Matt, um, can I see you today at four o'clock in my office? Now, depending on your previous experiences with me, (laughs) you're going to already go to one of two camps, either, gosh, I'm going to get a pat on the back and a bonus, or he's going to fire me today. Right. (laughs) Either way your entire day is unproductive. Right. Um, I also hate having conversations that are uncomfortable in a office that is a traditional space, i.e. there's a big desk between me and you. Mm -hmm. I sit in a bigger chair from a position of dominance, and I'm going to put you in this little uncomfortable chair. I'm going to make you squirm. Right. Right? And there's that big table separating us. That's right. So we We can't really connect as humans, right? That's right. And so we created this space called the principal's office. Now, it doesn't matter what age you are. You could take a kindergartner. And if you tell them, <laughs> you know, Joey, you got to go to the principal's office. The whole class goes, ooh, you're in trouble. So they know what that means, right? Right. So we had one little room at our office, a little closet with a round table, which I think is super important. Having a round table allows us to sit at this table with no position of dominance. Mm-hmm. We are we are truly there to solve a problem. That's all we're trying to do. And really I'm trying to manage unfulfilled expectations. That's it. So here's how the grow model works. And I'll use, you know, Jane as an example. So Jane uh, said, I've got a client who has a contract that's almost at the finish line. I will have the contract out Tuesday. We should hear back by Wednesday and I'll get this into production. Great. And that was part of the hours that she carved off of her 26. Now a week goes by and we're ready to have our planning session and she never sent it. So I said, Jane, what, what happened with that? Oh yeah, I just didn't get to it. Great. Let's have a grow meeting. And we can sit in the principal's office and I go, look, this is, <laughs> this is a very uncomfortable conversation. And that right there sets the pace. You always right. open with, you need to have an uncomfortable conversation, sets the pace. So the grow model stands for the goals, the reality, the options, And the last W is what will win. So the way we unfold this would be, 
Yeah. Listen, Jane, the goal was for you to get this contract out to the client and start production on it. The reality is, is you haven't sent it. So what are our options? And this is when I stopped talking and I let her come up with a dozen different options. What are we going to do to actually get this work done? And then the W is what will you do it? When will you have it done by who's going to do it? Like, how are we going to get this actually done? Mm -hmm. The first few times that you implement this model, you're going to get lots of excuses. Well, it was because legal didn't approve it. And then I couldn't get this to do it. And, and I go, that's great but that's in the rearview mirror and we've got to look forward like our goal is to get this done so the reality is, is it's not what are our options and i'm going to let her come up with the options nail down and have a, a commitment on what she's going to get done and then i initial that piece of paper and she initials it and that initialing creates a kind of a contract that hey we're both we're all agreeing on this right let me tell you, things get done and, and, <laughs> and sure. I don't have to raise my voice and I don't have to be mad at anybody, right? Because getting mad at them would feel so good in the short term, but I've just destroyed this relationship that I've spent years and hundreds of thousands of dollars building. Ultimately, we want to get things done. So let's just right. focus on getting the things done and not put people's character in play. Right. So, man, there's there's so many gems coming out of this. So the, the first one, I didn't want to interrupt you at the beginning, um, but just the idea of calling it the principal's office. I imagine that kind of takes some pressure off right away, right? Where people are just, all right, I, I know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation, but I'm going to the principal's office. It's like, you're just almost like, you're probably laughing about that idea, right? Yeah. Which you're, is, pre you're prepared. Yeah. You, you're, you're emotionally prepared. You know it's it's probably going to be uncomfortable, but you it's there's some lightheartedness about it where you know it's also not going to be the end of the world. Because this is what most people what causes a lot of anxiety, right? It's never the actual situation. It's what we think about. It's the anticipation of how bad it's going to be is always worse than what it actually is. That's right. And I and I hate I call them um, hallway snipers, right? You just <laughs> wait for somebody to walk by your office and you're like, hey, hey, can I see you for a second? And then they come in your office and you rip them a new one. And, and for no reason, like, I just don't understand why you would do that. Now that person is going to A, be afraid to walk by your office or B, even walk into your space to share something with you. And look, you don't have to have, you know, hundreds of employees and a big company to make this work. You can implement this in your home, right? So for my Absolutely. family, yeah. I have one son. I'm like, look, I told my wife, we're not going to go in his room and chew him out or have an uncomfortable conversation. It, that's his safe space. And we're not going to do it in the kitchen because that's where he does his homework and he, we hang out. We'll use the dining room, right? Nobody eats in the dining room. So <laughs> who, we'll who use uses that. their dining room? <laughs> we'll use that as the principal's office. Yeah, great. And their first day starts in the principal's office. And I think that's really important. So every single one of my employees, their very first day was in the principal's office. And I explained to them, I spend the first half a day with them. I want to hear them to hear it from the horse's mouth of who we are, why we're doing this, why are we kind of wacky at the things we do and how we approach it. And, you know, ultimately I tell them your last day will be in this office and I won't determine that you will. Right? Either yes. the company will outgrow you or you, you're just not the right fit. And some people I've moved in, you know, right seat on the bus, right? So I've yep. moved people in lots of different roles when it would have been easier to let them go. But once you get them in the right spot, Oh, they just soar, right? So I look at it as little league coaching. If if you're <laughs> if you're a leadership, you're little league coaching. And if you're waiting for an annual review, 
imagine running a little league team and at the end of the season saying, okay, here are all the scores for the games we won and lost. Jimmy, I need you to do this. And Bobby, I need you to do this. And next year we're going to give it a better shot. You wouldn't have a winning team, right? It's real time. And if the pitcher can't pitch, but is a great catcher, you're not going to kick him off the team. You're going to swap places. You're going to find where everybody is really maximizing their innate skill set. Fantastic. All right. Um, now this one is not, uh, at least I, I can't see that it's directly related to, to that last one. It's, there's no smooth segue here, but I think it's really intriguing the, the way you've written this, which is giving raises outside of the office. So let's, let's explore this one a little bit. If you could share again, what do you mean by this? Why is it important and how do we execute? So I have, um, over the course of 14 years, given lots of raises. And I've tried to do like, oh, we're just going to do everybody annual increase. Okay, that was, okay, that makes sense. That's just a cost of doing business. And so what what I decided to do is, A, I'm going to decouple any kind of evaluation with a raise. And so if you have employees and, and your listeners who have employees and you're doing annual evaluations, let me tell you, these people's parents have ruined that experience for you because (laughs) they have already had a social contract with their parents from childhood, which was two report cards. So you Mm. make all A's and you get a gift. And that translates to, I got a, I got a glowing review, but I didn't get a raise. So clearly I'm not valued. I need to go find another job. Mm. And that's why a lot of the young people hop jobs. It's they're looking to find that belonging and affirmation and meaning. And when they don't get it in the way they perceive it, they bounce. And so we decoupled all of that, right? We're going to do real-time feedback. We're going to get real-time assessment. We're going to coach you along. And every couple of years, you're going to get a bump in pay. Well, I used to do it at the conference room and bring them in and tell them how great of a job they're doing. And that we want to give you a raise. And it would be like, okay, um, should I go back to work? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like no champagne, no fireworks. Like <laughs> this is a big deal, right? We're a privately held company. I'm like literally opening my wallet and giving you money. Um, and so my wife and I changed it up. We decided let's take them and one of their loved ones to dinner. And over that dinner, we talk about, we understand the sacrifice that that person in their household makes to work for us. And we understand we're really hardworking and we demand a lot of their free time in terms of mental capacity. I, I know these people are thinking about their work on the drive home and I know they're thinking about it in the shower and, and they may miss you know, a a school thing because their brains are not in the moment of being with their kids. We get all that. We want to give your family a $10,000 raise. And what I have done is just created an advocate inside their home that when they say, I'm tired, I don't want to go to work today. They're like, get out of bed. You got a great company you work for. (laughs) And so really we look at the family unit as the employer employee coming into our organization. Right. Yeah. I know. Um, a lot of uh, leaders I've worked with that I think really care and build a culture of care, you know, that's a huge component of doing it is understanding that you're not just dealing with one person, you're dealing with that person and their family. That's so right. like, a, for instance, you know, as you don't, you, you wouldn't ask somebody to move states to come work for you unless that person's spouse and their children, if they have children also come and say, we would like to live here. That's because right. you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> if, if the spouse shows up and hates it and the kids hate it, that employee is going to 
be miserable. Their performance is going to be miserable. Everyone's right. going to be miserable. That's right. Yeah. So this is this is a, a way of taking this to a level I I haven't uh, haven't heard before, of just really incorporating the family into how compensation is determined and increased um, on a regular basis. All right. So let's. Um, this might segue nicely into there was another one on your list on buying the school supplies. So you tell me a little bit more about um, what you mean by buying the school supplies and yeah, why you so think it's important, how you execute. For all of your listeners who have made it this far, here's the crown jewel. And it's already too late because school's already started, but you can do it next year and you can do it at Christmas. Buy all the school supplies, all of them. Just anybody, like all of my employees, hey, you got kids, give me all your school supplies. Those of you who are single, no kids, you got nieces and nephews, give me your school supplies. Just give me all your school supplies. We'll buy everything in bulk, break it back down and get it back to you. Right? We're going to take care of all your school supplies. Now, I did it for years. I did it for years because I thought that's a... We're an education company. Let's just do this. But B, I really wanted that pack of 64 crayons with a sharpener. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I grew up, I grew up without much. And so my parents were like, no, you're going to get the eight pack generic. This is what we can afford. <laughs> and it just set this imprint on me that, you know, I don't want that for the kids in this organization, right? For the kids who have parents who work here, they need to take care of all the school supplies. We're going to buy all the best school supplies you can have. Here's the reality of it, Matt. And I didn't even know this was happening until years later. I'm having some drinks with an old employee of mine who uh, went on with the new company that bought us. And he said, you know, I actually took an interview at a, at a larger company and I decided not to go. And I said, oh, why not? He said, well, um, it would have been like eight or $9,000 a year more, but they don't pay for the school supplies. And I kind of <laughs> looked at him and I was like, bro, you know, it's only like, 40, 50 bucks, <laughs> like yeah. you could clearly buy you the school supplies. And he said, no, no, look, it has nothing to do with the school supplies. When I asked that question, they thought I was from another planet. And that's when I quickly realized you guys cared for my family more than that employer would. Mm. Now just think about that, right? It, it cost me 40 bucks and a kind gesture. But in reality, what I got was a deep, deep loyalty that they understood I was trying to take care of them, right? If you're an employer and you employ people, you feed those people, like you feed and house those people. That's what they do with that money. And the perception is, wow, they take care of my kids' school supply. That's 40 bucks I can put to something else. But the subconscious component of that is, is man, my boss cares enough about my family to take care of my school supplies. Yeah, now in these last two, taking care of the school supplies, giving raises outside of the office. Um, can you just tie this together? To me, the connection is pretty clear, but just to kind of tie it home before we, before we touch on the bonus here, we'll end with a laugh. Um, you know, how do you see when leaders demonstrate this type of care, how do you see this translating into team members taking care of each other? Where, do, oh. where you're creating this culture of people right. who want to do the same thing for their, for their coworkers. That's right. So I can't tell you how many people in my organization who go, look, I don't have any kids. I'm too young, no nieces and nephews. What can I do to help? And I go, great. We're going to reach out to a local school and we're going to adopt a handful of underserved kids and you can buy the school supplies for them. 
and I can't tell you how overwhelming. I mean, we met, we produce this massive table of stuff that yeah. we donate. And I didn't ask him to do that, right? But it created this, well, well, if you're taking care of those kids, what can I do to take care of some kids? Yeah. And, and that's just one example, right? It really boils down to if you're struggling with a project and somebody else gives up a little bit of their time to help you because that moves the organization forward, that's invaluable, right? Absolutely. And you can't buy your way. I mean, I guess you can buy the school supplies, right? But you can be real disingenuous about it too and be like, Oh, absolutely. You know, I bought all your kids' school supplies. You better work late today. Like that. No, you did it because you want to do it. Right? right. Yeah, that that just ruins it. Yeah. If you do it because you want to, because you truly care, it's a whole different that's right. Whole different story. All right, Peach, let's let's wrap up here with uh with a laugh here. So your bonus is no toilet paper bandits. What are you what are you talking about here? No <laughs> toilet paper bandits, Matt. So I have a real simple rule. If I go into the restroom after you and the toilet paper is empty and you haven't replaced it, it's your last day. I don't do any knee jerk firing. Like nobody's ever surprised they got fired. Like we use the grow model to really get things done. Right. Right. But if I walk into the restroom and when nobody was looking, this was really your character or whoever's character, right? They, they saw they took the last piece, but like it literally changes colors and makes a noise, right? <laughs> it's telling you <laughs> it's out of toilet paper. And that person doesn't care enough about the person coming in after them mm. to just take a second to swap it out. That's a thing for yourself or that can't work in our organization because we're too tied and connecting, right? Like if you think a lot of organizations say, well, we're like a family. Well, what does that mean? Right? Well, that means if my kid is sick, I'm going to do everything I can to help that kid. Or if my kid forgot something, I'm going to go help. Or if I got to go pick him up, I'm going to drop everything and go pick him up. We don't really do that at work. It's a, well, it's five o'clock. It'll deal with it later. And so we've got to get back to that component of how do we look out for each other? Like we are a family. I'm not saying we are, right? Still an organization full of strangers, but we got to break down those walls quickly. Mm -hmm. What I can't control is what you do in private and what your true character is. So everybody can put a smile on at work, right? but their true character, if you are a think for yourself and will not change the toilet paper roll, doesn't matter where you are in the organization, you're just not the right fit. And a lot of that, Matt, is because I can't run around and micromanage everybody and I don't want to. Right. So I needed a single gauge on my dashboard that tells me, you know, when is it to the tipping point of really getting bad? And I will tell you, it's toilet paper, man. And <laughs> yeah. if you have it going on in your home, if you have a, if you're at home and you go into the bathroom and there's no toilet paper, it's probably time for a little talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a super, uh, super simple tripwire to know when somebody's not, not living the values. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to have a culture where leaders and team members truly take care of each other, that means everyone needs to be doing that. And as soon as you find somebody who you know is not doing it, it is probably not going to do it in the future. You're doing everyone a disservice, including them. They're not going to feel like they belong. If they're the That's one right. selfish jerk in the company and everyone yeah. else is generous, they're going to be miserable every day. So it's, right. it's a win for everybody to yeah. expel the toilet paper bandits. <laughs> All right, um, Peach. Well, I super, I really appreciate your time. This has been really valuable for me personally. I, I'm hoping this has been really valuable for the listeners. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. So those of you who want to get in touch with uh, Peach, his website is patelokc.com. 
patelokokc.com. So that's P-A-T-E-L-O-K-C, like Oscar Kilo Charlie.com. Um, you can f- learn more about Peach there, uh, find his book, subscribe to his newsletter, and maybe you'll hear a little bit more about some of the things that we did not talk about today on his list. And again, that list will be the top 10 um, will be on the Business Leadership Today website, um, which is businessleadershiptoday.com. So thanks so much for listening. Um, until the next time, I wish you great success building a world-class organization that makes a positive impact in the lives of your team members and in our world. Bye for now.